0: it's you know particularly important for men to challenge other men's sexism and other men's violent supportive comments and ironically men are, can actually be much more influential in doing that than women sometimes so there's there's research evidence for example looking at male and female advocates for gender equality in workplaces. And when men speak up about gender equality, um, they're actually listened to more readily than women. Whereas women are more readily dismissed and more readily seen as self-interested or it's kind of anti-male and so on. Whereas men's kind of conventional authority and the fact that men are speaking out, um, you know, in solidarity with women, in a sense, gives them more traction and they're listened to more readily, particularly by other men. Men, unfortunately, seem more willing to listen to men than to women.
1: Welcome back to the DFN podcast. I'm your host, Allie. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing why feminism needs men and men need feminism with the brilliant Dr. Michael Flood. Michael is an internationally recognized researcher on men, masculinities, and violence prevention. He's made significant contribution to scholarly and community understanding of men's and boys' involvement in preventing and reducing violence against women and building gender equality as a whole. He also is a trainer and community educator with a long involvement in pro-feminist advocacy and education. In this episode, we'll explore how male privilege works to maintain gender inequalities, the ways in which feminism and gender equality actually benefits men, as well as strategies for engaging men in the fight for gender equality. Because as we all know, it takes more than one gender to have gender inequality and therefore more than one gender to work towards justice. I am so excited about this conversation. I think it's a really important conversation to have. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Uh, Thank you. I just want to check that you can hear me all
1: right. Yeah, we can hear you great. Thank goodness. In preparing for this lounge, I read a little bit of your writings and listened to a few of your talks, Michael, and a common theme that you have that I found really interesting is that we understand gender inequality in terms of female disadvantage. That's kind of the most common perception of it. But what you highlight is that we can flip that and look at the ways in which gender inequality is a symptom of male privilege. So where I'd like to start the conversation today is, although there are good men out there who don't bluntly assert dominance over women, how do men inadvertently maintain gender inequalities in their everyday lives just as a symptom of male privilege?
0: Sure. Look, um, I think you've, you've you've hit the nail on the head in pointing out that gender inequality is in many ways a problem of men, or at least of many men. It's a problem of the attitudes and the behaviours and the interactions that many men show. And I think, you know, it's important for men like me to acknowledge that that is personal. It's not some abstract problem out there. So I can think of, you know, times when, for example, I've, you know, let my female partner do the, you know, domestic work rather than take it up myself. Times when I've given more weight to contributions by men in a meeting than women. Um, if I send in my CV with a, with my male name, um, I'm more likely to be judged as competent, as hireable, as promotable than an identical CV with a female name. And so, you know, gender inequality is in many ways a problem of men, a problem of the the unfair privileges that many men um, gain having said that it's not the case that you know all men are doing fine and all men are living these kind of comfortable privileged lives and we know of course that you know men's lives are also shaped by ethnicity and race by class by sexuality disability and so on so you know the kind of basic feminist intersectionality 101 tells us that of course you know it's simply not true that all men are privileged all women are disadvantaged but so, you know, I, th- I think for um, for men in general, there's a sort of challenge of recognising how we ourselves perpetuate and uh, how we ourselves perpetuate gender inequalities and how we receive unfair privileges, whether we want to or not, you know, no matter how nice a guy we might individually be, um, we still will receive some of those unfair forms of privilege just because of how we're judged in an unfair society.
1: Very well said. So with that idea of male privilege in mind, what is the role of men in achieving gender equality and ending the patriarchy?
0: Sure. So look, you know, if if we assume that gender inequality is in large part a problem of men, of men's attitudes, behaviours and relations, then really by definition... We've got to change those. There's a kind of compelling feminist rationale for engaging men, for engaging men in change. And indeed, feminism for a very long time has said, we want men to join us, to join us in ta- you know tackling these kind of systemic problems Um, of inequality. Great. So look, men have an absolutely vital role to play. And I think there is a kind of widespread recognition in feminist circles and other circles these days that, um, you know, part of the change is engaging men in change and men will have a vital role to play. In terms of what men can do, the very first thing I think men need to do is actually look at ourselves to put our own houses in order. And when, you know, a man comes to me and says, you know, I'm sort of concerned about this issue or I've realised, you know, I've heard there's this serious problem of men's domestic violence against women or workplace gender inequality, what can I do? The first thing I think that man can do is put his own house in order. So, and that means, you know, for each, each of us men to look critically at our own lives and our own relations and think, am I treating the women and girls around me with respect and care? Am I doing that in the in the you know in the workplace on the street in the bedroom in the kitchen and so on. Second thing men can do, however, is to speak out, particularly in relation to other men. It's you know particularly important for men to challenge other men's sexism and other men's violent supportive comments. And ironically, men are, can actually be much more influential in doing that than women sometimes. So there's there's research evidence, for example, looking at male and female advocates for gender equality in workplaces. And when men speak up about gender equality, um, they're actually listened to more readily than women, whereas women are more readily dismissed and more readily seen as self-interested or as kind of anti-male and so on. Whereas men's kind of conventional authority and the fact that men are speaking out, um, you know, in solidarity with women, in a sense, gives them more traction and they're listened to more readily, particularly by other men. Men, unfortunately, seem more willing to listen to men than to women. And, you know, one response to that, therefore, is for men to use that that platform to try to make change. Of course, it's also important for men sometimes to hand over the microphone, to amplify women's voices and kind of step aside and so on. So men have a vital role to play, put our own houses in order, speak out, um, you know, in the men around us, among the men around us, our friends, our peers, our colleagues, and so on. And third, join in collective action, because really, we're not going to make systemic social change without social movements, without collective social action. And the feminist movements over the last four or five decades have made a profound difference in all, you know, a all manner of domains of life. But men can join with women in uh, social movements and basically in activism to, you know, to become troublemakers, to start, you know, advocating for change.
1: We definitely need more troublemakers. And a a quote that comes to mind, I can't remember where I read this, probably in, in one of the books I've been reading recently, but the quote says, it takes more than one gender to have gender inequality and more than one gender to work towards justice. And men aren't often thought of when we use the word gender inequality or gender equality because of the reasons we talked about earlier. You know, we typically think of it in terms of female disadvantage, but by excluding men in the conversation, it's going to be a lot more difficult I don't want to use the word impossible, but a lot more difficult to achieve equality. So I'm gl- so glad we're having this conversation today.
0: And look, I wouldn't say that really men have been excluded. I think there's been a sort of regular stream of invitations from feminist women and feminist groups for men to you know, be part of the solution and to take part in this. I think for many men, though, there's a sense that, sure, those issues are important, but what have they got to do with me? It's nothing to do with me. I'm one of the good guys. And even for men who feel like, no, there is an issue, you know, men should do something, men often don't know what to do. We don't know how to speak up, we don't know how to take action. And of course, among many men, there's a real kind of sense of defensiveness, of blame, of, you know, I'm being attacked, men are being shamed, not all men, those kinds of things. And while this response is maybe understandable in some ways, ultimately, they're unhelpful, they're a distraction from, you know, the real work of starting to make change.
1: And in addition to that blame that you're mentioning, one thing that we've noticed in our work is that men sometimes feel like this isn't a place they belong, especially white men who often feel attacked when speaking of like male privilege and when talking about feminism in general. So it's awesome to have conversations like these to kind of break down those barriers and invite them into the conversation with with open arms. So in our discussion today, we're addressing two arguments that you often defend in your work, and that is Feminism needs men, which you've just talked us there. And then the latter half of that is men need feminism. So my question is pertaining to that second half. Why? How does feminism and gender equality benefit men?
0: Sure, look, there's been a growing recognition you know in countries across the world that men's lives are limited in important ways by the patterns of gender we have, the gender roles, the gender stereotypes, the gender relations we have. I don't like the phrase "toxic masculinity, but it's got a visibility these days. and in you know one aspect of the of the phrase "toxic masculinity is the idea that, Traditional masculinity, stereotypical masculinity is toxic, is limiting for men themselves. And there's certainly a wealth of evidence that conforming to traditional masculinity is limiting for men, limiting our, it limits our physical and emotional health, Limits our relationships with women, sexual and intimate relationships with women. Limits our friendships with men, indeed our sexual relationships with men. And limits our lives in all kinds of ways. And there's literally now hundreds of studies showing that men who conform more strongly to traditional masculinity tend to have shallower relationships, less involvement in fathering, greater vulnerability to depression, to suicide, and so on. Now, the reason that men should support efforts towards gender equality is above all because it's the right thing to do. It's the fair thing to do. Gender inequality, um, you know, patriarchy is a systemic pattern of inequality that privileges many men, and disadvantages many women. And because men are privileged by that, we have an ethical obligation to take part in change. That's That's the kind of key reason why men should support efforts to build gender equality. But a second reason is that it's in our interest to do so. It's very much in our personal interest to do so. And men will gain from progress towards gender equality. We'll gain, firstly, in terms of our own health, our own sense of self, and the kind of ways we can be in the world. If we can make progress towards gender equality, that kind of opens up the ways that you can be a man, the ways that you can be a person in the world. Second, we benefit in terms of our relationships. We will have richer more trusting, more egalitarian, more sexually pleasurable relationships with women, um, deeper friendships, uh, greater room to be involved in fe- in parenting and so on. And third, our communities benefit. If we make progress towards gender equality, then we have workplaces with a greater pool of talent. We have communities with lower levels of violence, including violence against men, which is overwhelmingly by other men, um, and a whole series of other ways that our communities and our societies benefit. So there's all kinds of ways that men will benefit from progress towards gender equality.
1: And now over the past few years, there is definitely areas in which we have made progress towards gender equality, but there are still areas in life where gender equality has not yet been met, such as violence against women, unpaid care and domestic work and social protection systems like maternity leaves. So my question for you is in your research, what efforts have you come across to engage men in finding solutions to these issues uh, that are underway currently around the globe?
0: Sure. But one really interesting thing that's happened in the last, I'd say, two or three decades has been a turn to men, a turn to men in gender politics. You know, one side of that is the growing discussions in media and elsewhere about, you know, can men be feminists? What do we think about male feminists? And kind of, you know, attention to high profile men who say even the most kind of, you know, obvious and banal things about gender equality. But second, there have also been a growing number of campaigns, campaigns aimed at the roles that men can play in building gender equality UN campaigns like he for she anti-violence campaigns like the white ribbon campaign that encourages men to show their support for ending violence against women and a whole series of other efforts and they focus typically on i think 3 or 4 issues the most well developed area of work engaging men is engaging men in preventing domestic and sexual violence against women there are local campaigns in you know cities and countries around the world. There are national and international campaigns. There are also efforts to engage men in sexual and reproductive health, um, and, you know sharing responsibility for contraception, sharing uh, decisions about family size, um, being involved in domestic and caring work. And third, there are uh, efforts on gender uh, inequalities, particularly in the workplace. There are growing efforts to engage men in supporting efforts towards gender equality, mentoring women, challenging sexual harassment, and so on. And so there's now what you might call an engaging men field, a field of practice and programming, and also a field of scholarship. And because I'm, you know, both an advocate and a researcher, I'm interested in what the research says. One encouraging thing the research says is that those efforts can make change, that well-designed programs can shift boys' and men's attitudes and behaviors and sort of encourage them towards more gender equitable, more respectful, more non-violent ways of being in the world. So that's really encouraging that that field is showing that it is possible to involve men in positive change.
1: Thank you for sharing those examples. Michael, your passion for this topic just really comes through. When I asked you that question, your eyes just lit up and (laughs) you clearly really know what you're talking about and are so passionate about it. And it's really so great to see a man in particular, so passionate about feminism and so knowledgeable on the subject. So just look, that doesn't
0: mean that certainly doesn't mean that I've got it all worked out at all. You know, I wouldn't want to pretend to be some kind of perfect man. I absolutely, you know, stuff up, you know, sort of fall down in various ways. And I think that's part of the work is acknowledging the kind of messiness of our personal histories and the ongoing challenge of trying to, you know, live a live a good life.
1: Definitely. Very well said. So, Michael, to leave our attendees today with kind of some actionable items, I'm wondering if you have any concrete examples or actionable items, I should say, on how we as individuals or on the government-like policy level as well, how can we engage men in the fight for gender equality?
0: Look, I certainly think that we need to build into our efforts you know, to address gender inequalities, Uh, attention to men. It doesn't mean that every single program, every single service needs to engage men. And certainly one issue as this engaging men field has um, developed is that some women and women's groups now feel pressure to include men in their work or to make sure that part of their work is focused on boys or focused on men. And I think that's, you know, that's unfortunate because I think that women only and women-led programs, funding and services are absolutely central still. And there's a kind of consensus in the engaging men field that this work should be done in collaboration with women and and feminist organisations and shouldn't compete for funding or kind of push women and women's voices out of the way. And that has sometimes happened in some places, unfortunately. But I think that, uh, you know, efforts to engage men have to be scaled up and built into, institutionalised in gender equality policies, whether that's, you know, national government policy or a local council's policy or a sporting code's, you know, efforts to address respect and inclusion or um, a school program on sexual harassment and so on. You know, there's all kinds of ways in all those different settings at different levels where we can start to engage men and boys. And I think we have to do so with a clear sense of principle. And, you know, I think there's three principles that are important. The first is to be feminist or gender transformative is what it's often called in the field. That is to be feminist, to pay attention to gender inequalities, and to be critical of, you know, sexism and violence and other forms of inequality and to engage men and boys in critically challenging those. Second, I think we have to have some sense of a commitment to enhancing boys' and men's lives, some sense that this will be good for boys' and men to be engaged in this. And third, our work has to be intersectional. That is, it has to address the intersections of gender with other forms of social difference and social inequality and recognise that men's and boys' lives, like women and girls' lives, are, you know, complex and diverse and so on. And so, you know, for individual men, I think, look at ourselves, do the personal work of change, join efforts to build gender equality, educate ourselves, listen to women, read feminist books, um, respect women-only spaces, hold other men to account and start to do the activist work. But for organisations and advocacy groups, then I think, you know, so build uh, streams of work engaging men and boys into your work. You know if if that suits your agendas and collaborate with other women's rights and feminist organizations in doing so that's my you know plan for you know ending the patriarchy in 200 words or less but you know
1: michael thank you so much for joining us today
0: ali a real pleasure
1: to stay up to date on dfn events check out our website at www.datafeminismnetwork.org if you're a fan of the show Follow us on Instagram at Data Feminism Network and on Twitter at DataFemNetwork. You can also follow us on LinkedIn where we post event updates and share job opportunities related to data equity and inclusion. Be sure to tune in to next week's episode on gender data projects, collecting, analyzing, and taking action with Tara Kirkson.